Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is David Yaravesky, a director whose credits include the horror movie The Hive and the superhero counter-narrative Brightburn. You might also have seen the Guardians Inferno video he directed for his pal James Gunn's movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. His latest, Nightbooks, stars Winslow Fegley as a kid obsessed with horror stories who finds himself trapped in an enchanted apartment owned by a witch, played by the wonderful Kristen Ritter, who will only keep him alive if he tells her a scary story every night. It's on Netflix right now. David picked another movie about scary stories, John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness, a delirious genre mashup starring Sam Neill as John Trent, an insurance investigator on the trail of the vanished horror author Sutter Kane, whose books about haunters out of time and whispers in the dark seem to have the ability to drive readers insane. It's one of Carpenter's most playful pictures, a Lovecraftian romp about the end of the world, and although audiences didn't get it at the time, it's finally found its people. David is one of them. So am I. This is someone else's movie. You know, In the Mouth of Madness is a movie, although I will say recently has been getting the kind of love that it deserves. It's a movie that exists out there. I saw it opening night with my friends, and I was like, what did I just watch? Like, (laughs) holy shit and it just blew my mind and sure i was at an age in which like my mind was primed to be blown you know um but it just it was such a um it was such an incredible movie i i couldn't believe what i had watched and 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 um you know through the years no one for a long time no one talked about it i mean they really didn't you know in the mouth of madness i would say people would ask me because i make horror movies or whatever what's your favorite horror movie and i don't know i could talk for hours about what my favorite horror movies are but but in the mouth of madness was always something just really special to me. And, 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 and knowing that not everyone has seen it, not everyone's been exposed to it. I, I, I thought, it, you know, I thought it'd be fun to recommend a movie to people that maybe they haven't seen. Um, and, and, and to talk about a movie that, that I don't know, just doesn't get the love that it deserves, you know? Yeah. It's also fascinating too, that a film about a cult author, a fictional cult author has ultimately developed its own cult because of that, because yeah, I, I saw it in 94. I think it was must have been a press screening. I'm not even sure if it was a public preview. It might have been one of those 10 a.m. screenings where it was just critics. And there were 12 of us, if that was the case. I remember yeah. it being really sparse. And then I found out that that's how it was doing theatrically. The people just, it wasn't connecting. And it's like, no, I get it. It's hard to sell. It's a difficult explanation. What if H.P. Lovecraft was real? And also Stephen King. And then you fold in all the other things that are going on in the film. But it just... It's so much fun. I, I, it's so much fun. It's yeah. so much fun, and it, it's it's also so much smarter than people think it is. I mean, mm. I mean, oftentimes I'm I, I, like, I, you know, listen. I love your haunted house movie. I love your exorcism movie. I love, you know, I love the ghost stories and all that. But like every once in a while, and John Carpenter was a master at this. He, there'd be a movie that would take on horror like a, a, an idea or a theme that was so out of the box, you know, they live, you yeah. know, to, to, to make a, a horror movie about consumerism and, and like, like that's so groundbreaking. Right. And then, and, and to me in the mouth of madness is, is a horror movie about the war of ideas, the constant war for what reality is. And we are in the midst of a giant war uh, as to what reality is. And uh, listen, I, secretly, I would love to remake uh, you know, not remake, but but I would love to to take a crack at doing something in 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 the in the mouth of madness universe. I love it so much, mm-hmm. and I think it's so timely, right? 
um, that 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 war of reality, uh, the the constant, uh, um, um, you know, from the dawn of time, uh, or really not the dawn of time, from from the from the moment man uh, could argue with each other, we had language. We would argue about uh, what reality is and what the tools are we use to assess reality and um it's 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 at the heart of every civilization and no no one's ever made a horror movie about it and and it's an incredibly scary concept um you know th- there's this theme in the movie like you know like i think it's just kind of plainly stated it's like more people read Sutter Kane than the bible like <laughs> think about what that does to the collective consciousness of what reality is and what reality isn't um and and that's just it's just such a cool concept i love it and 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 um that's number one and number two and just tell me to shut up if i'm just talking too much but i can talk about it for a very long time but no no but, please but everyone has their belief on like what Lovecraftian horror is. And the truth is Lovecraftian horror is this multidimensional concept. There's just different things to love and for different people. Certainly creatures are like, you know, a, a, a part of it. You think of like tentacly Cthulhu monsters and you're like, oh, Lovecraftian horror. But that is not the thing that I love about Lovecraftian horror. The thing that I love about Lovecraftian horror is playing with time and sanity and planting yourself in one person's perspective, confronting something horrible and seeing how our experience through like how trauma and how confronting unspeakable horrors shapes our experience you know if you've ever had a traumatic experience you understand that being stuck in a body with a brain with all these like with a limited amount of sanity and a limited perspective on the situation adds so much more horror and chaos and 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 um just insanity to the entire moment and and um to me that is missing from horror because so much of it exists in the in the uh like um it's not planted in one person's perspective it's like wider it's like uh you know it's 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 so it's more tangible but look i i could argue for a long time that the shining uses Lovecraftian horror because of the, the, the surrealist sanity spiral that we fall down. I could argue that Arrival uh, is one of the greatest Lovecraftian horror movies of all time because of the, first of all, I mean, this, those are like Cthulhu's. Those are just like <laughs> elder gods that they're meeting on that ship. And like, think about the relationship of time and how it like, how it, you know, how her sanity gets wrapped up in the experience and how mm-hmm. she relooks at um, at time and reality and how, like that's all Lovecraftian horror and I love those things and In the Mouth of Madness plays with all of those concepts in such a fun and crazy way um, yeah so I yeah I love the movie I don't know what to say I love the movie yeah well I was trying to figure out the best way in for the introduction and you just have to relate the plot but what that doesn't do for someone who hasn't seen it is explain just how as you say, how much of it is grounded in the perspective of one character and how, how Sam Neill as an actor has to carry that and hold that line and move from not even skeptic, but just sort of casual, cynical person who doesn't really believe in anything that he can't see or touch yeah. uh, and who ultimately becomes the last sane man 
because of that, because he's just protected enough that he doesn't take any of it seriously. And the way that Carpenter, I mean, I, Michael DeLuca as an executive is somebody I was surprised to go back and see that he would write something this anarchic as a screenplay. And he wrote it apparently in the mid eighties uh, and it banged around for a while before he found somebody who actually wanted to make it at which point he was running his own studio and could green light it. But the, there is such a precise slide from eccentric background players to cosmic menace that's going on. And it's the same thing that Carpenter did. I mean, and it's why Carpenter's perfect because he did it in Prince of Darkness and he did it in They Live, but he's also practiced at, at an apocalypse happening outside of your perspective. That's what the thing is all about. Um, that's what also, that's what Prince of Darkness and They Live are all about as well. But he had just sort of been hitting this bump uh, in execution either because he was limited by the material or because he was limited by the budget or both. I love his, his post, um, you know, like I love the indie wave he did after the studio wave in the eighties, but in the mouth of madness finds him just like, Oh, this is what I've been trying to do. This is the, this is my sweet spot of all these movies that I've been working on. And he just blows it out. It's just every great weird idea. And yeah, it's Lovecraftian in a destabilizing way, but also, there are probably tentacle people running around three feet from the camera. Like we just can't yeah. see them. Yeah. And also, it's like you're saying, right? Like, like a movie like In the Mouth of Madness, right? A horror movie at that budget level is so rarely made by like a master craftsman who's made so many movies behind him. And and when you start watching the movie, you immediately realize the movie moves. Like there is yeah. no fat. In that movie, you know, like like the first act is just what like you're just going and you're in this world. There's this mystery. There's all these clues. There's questions. There's an interesting uh, relationship that's that's developing between um, between the two leads. And it's it you know it's like it's like it just keeps moving. And and uh, I did I have found like in going back on movies that I loved. Like uh, one of the things that, that, you know, that you find with these movies are that, that they are really like well-crafted films separate from all the cool things you like about it and stuff, but just in the basic fundamentals of like the spine of the storytelling and how the beats all work together and how they form sequences that move quickly and how there's no, like all that stuff, it's all there. Like I, I, you know, in preparation for Nightbooks, I rewatched Beetlejuice. And the first act of Beetlejuice, it moves. That movie flies and it introduces you to all these crazy concepts uh, in incredibly smart ways. And, and um, I don't know, it, should, it, it, just, it never ceases to surprise me. And, and the thing is, I love Halloween. Halloween is, uh, John Carpenter's Halloween is a masterpiece. Oh, we it's all, perfect, we, yeah. It's, yeah, we all stand on the shoulders of Halloween. But at the same time, it doesn't move like in the mouth of madness moves. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have the pace and the momentum that that movie has because there is still something to be said about you learn a lot when you make 20 movies or whatever he did in between Halloween and in the mouth of madness, you learn a lot. And, uh, um, and also kind of speaks to Michael, you know, DeLuca's screenplay, you know, yeah, which is a, this marvelous pastiche of Lovecraft, right? Like it's arcane publishing instead of Arkham House. All the little things are there for fans to just enjoy and quietly say, well, you can't get the rights, but this is how you would do it. 
And then the fact that it's happening in the present day instead of set during, say, the 20s or 30s gives them the excuse to fold in all the world weariness. I mean, it's basically a detective movie. He is a private investigator. Uh, it just happens to go somewhere else. And it's funny. Uh, have you, you must have seen Clive Barker's Lord of Illusions, right? At some I've point, seen Clive Barker's Lord of Illusions a hundred times. Yeah, it's like the flip side to this film. It's uh, yeah. they were made around the same time, and they're both very different treatments. But they're also about um, outsiders who stumble into the apocalypse. I mean, uh, Scott Bakula's character is much more connected, and and there's a whole history that's uh, an, an occult history with that character that's never explored, but just hinted at, which I love. But here you have again Sam Neill, who was just in Jurassic Park, who was just in the biggest movie in history to that point. Yes. Just sort of downshifting and still carrying his authority and doing it. Like I, I love Sam Neill. I've, I've had the chance to interview him a few times over the years and he's just an endlessly decent guy who has somehow the ability to wink to the camera without winking to the camera. It's like Hugh Jackman can do it too in, in genre work. And it's this real skill. Totally. This charm. He has this charm to him. That's so cool. I've never met the guy. Oh. Admire him. His career, you know, when you think about great actors, man, like, like, like Samuel is in the, you know, you go like, oh, Tom, like you start listing off these, like these guys who have had these mega careers. When you pull back and you see, right, he went from Jurassic Park, right, to In the Mouth of Madness. I mean, he, you know, he's done, it, like, uh, by the way, another incredibly uh, underrated, uh, great uh, horror movie from that era that also weirdly feels connected to In the Mouth of Madness to me, which is uh, Event Horizon. Which, yep. oh, yeah. which he was in. And then, uh, I mean, Taika's movie with the name. Uh, oh, the Hunt I, for the Wilder People. Yeah, Hunt for the Wilder People. And, and like, I, I mean, he's just, I mean, man, what what a, what a resume this dude has. Yeah, well, and, and, and uh, of course he played the devil in the final conflict, right? He was the Antichrist. Yeah. 10 years at least before in the mouth of madness. And here he's playing someone who's trying to stop the apocalypse. And it's just, it feels like Carpenter's in on the joke too, in a way that he wasn't always like, sometimes his films are, are loose and, and fun. And sometimes they're a little heavy uh, towards the, like in the nineties and, and um, like vampires kind of walks a line where he's trying to stay in control of the tone here and there. I like it, but yeah. it's, it's messy. And yeah. in the mouth of madness is, a commentary on decades of horror. It's in conversation with all of these other things. And you plant Sam Neill in the middle of it. And he just, he gives you private investigator, but he also gives you, yeah, I know I've, I've had this ride before. And then of course, yeah, Event Horizon shows up and it's, it's such a marvelous twist on this film because again, he's, he's the, the guy who is the, the quiet authority figure who in this case is just cheerfully leading everyone to damnation. Yeah. I have a, I have a rule. I might've stole it from someone, so I don't want to take any ownership of it, but let's just okay. say this rule exists. I, I it, it, uh, very possibly uh, read it in a book somewhere, but it's just planted in my brain. And the rule is the person in any horror movie, the person who knows they're in a horror movie uh, first is the person you side with. And, and that's in sequences and that's in, but just whoever is like becoming aware that something is going on is the person <laughs> that you side with just as a rule, always, you know, and everyone else is an idiot. That's why you're like, you're an idiot. Why are you unlocking that door? Yeah. Don't you know that Jason's out there, you know, and, and somehow this movie sort of exists outside of that realm entirely because 
because like his whole arc in this movie, I mean, he is just an unchanging skeptic of the entire situation. And somehow, miraculously, we're rooting for him the entire time. We're with him. We're on the journey. We're making the discoveries with him. And it, it, it just never, you know, it never kind of goes there, you know, but it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's it, it, even in the investigative trope, you know, like, um, uh, um, like, like there's tons of great horror movies that are centered on an investigator who's investigating something. The ring is a great example of that, right? Mm -hmm. If you yeah. watch re revisiting the ring, I was shocked at how much influence seven had on it. You know, it's very much an investigative, like a shocking crime scene, investigative kind of thing. Yeah. And, but she is uh, a Naomi Watts who's, Oh my God, I would do anything to work with her. Uh, she's amazing. Um, and, and she is, she is uh, like investigating this thing. Cause she's like, there's something to this <laughs> and no one else does. That's always what it is. You're following this character. Who's like, I see there's something going on and no one else sees it. And this is the inverse and somehow it works. I don't know. I yeah. don't understand it. It's, it's funny too, because it's so beautifully deals with the, the Lovecraft. I call it the Lovecraft fallacy, which is that the things that are indescribable, the things he can't depict, we don't want to see them. Everybody wants a Lovecraft movie, but nobody really wants it. You want it, you want something like Reanimator, where people are getting messy in the real world with horrible things in the periphery. But if you tried to depict the things that Lovecraft is implying for all of his work, it just, I don't think it would work. I think it would just be a bunch of CG or it would be uh, clouds and you know, like you'd have to abstract it. There's no way you can actually deliver an, an experience that would satisfy an audience. Guillermo del Toro, maybe with Mountains of Madness, might have. He's talked about it in the descriptions he's had. Are like, hey, maybe it would have worked. But I think you either need to be somebody that ambitious and have that much money behind you and Tom Cruise, which would have been the case at the time, or you do it this way and you stop when the apocalypse comes because what's the point? Because that is when you go insane, that is when everything is over. There were people, I remember in 97 or 98, talking about a sequel, and it wasn't going to be Carpenter involved. He just, he wanted nothing to do with it. But I don't even know where you take the story. Like, this is a story about a guy who finds the thing he's looking for, and it ends the world. Or who just yes. finds out that the thing he's been chasing is the end of the world. And right. everyone around him is already gone. He like he is literally alone watching the movie that we have just watched. There is no way out. This is the end of it. Maybe that's his hell. But... I don't see the point of a sequel. I mean, oh, agreed. It, yeah. it, 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 I think it would have to be a, 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 like you know, as someone who would love who would love an opportunity to take a crack at at revisiting in the mouth of madness. To me, I think it has to be, and these are some of my favorite, like you know, remakes or whatever. It's just someone taking, you know, doing their version of it. Yeah. You know, like like taking the story, taking the elements and the themes that they love and 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 modernizing it. As I'm saying, like 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 right now, today, the idea of people reading things and going insane is like incredibly relatable. And 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 people all have the experience of like, I knew this person. I love this person. Now they're a monster, you know, and and it's like it's 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 um, it just feels like irrelevant story to tell right now or to revisit right now but i just i don't think you revisit that universe uh oh, no, you know yeah 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 i think it just needs you just need to find a way to reimagine it and by the way i agree 
I, in general, agree with what you're saying, but I also think that that expands beyond Lovecraft. I think that there's just too much. I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that I kept repeating in Brightburn when we were shooting, I, you know, and it was like, it, I, I feel like whenever you're making a movie, there's certain fr- sentences that you find yourself saying every day to everyone. And one of the things I kept saying was the scariest part of every movie is someone walking around a house saying hello. And, and um, you know, to remember that so much of horror is anticipation. James Wan completely understands that. Like mm. all of his movies are like anticipation porn. They just like, they milk, they milk the anticipation. And, and he, his scares are like jazz. I mean, he's on another level with how he like presents. He's a magician with how he like, you know, makes you think it's going to be from here and then it's from here, but now there's another one here. Like it's so natural for him, but, but it's anticipation and, 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 um, and that's, that's sort of a one way to sort of look at how, how, uh, how you could sort of succeed. And then another way is, is, and, uh, you know, is, I, I also look at Cloverfield as like a Lovecraftian movie um, um, yeah. and, 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 and using found footage forced a perspective. Uh, and, and so the, the obfuscation uh, was um, a bit more um, of just scale and just like, I have a video camera and I look up and I can just see movement or something, you know, I can hear it. I could see a, you know, a, the Statue of Liberty's head sliding down <laughs> a, a, the street. Um, but yeah, Cloverfield always felt like, it just felt like, you know, what if Cthulhu just like rose out of the water and just started raining hell on, you know, there's a piece of it that felt like that to me. Yeah. I think, uh, Gareth Edwards, Godzilla has the same feel like something mythical is happening and we're just caught in it. And all we can do is not get killed if we're lucky. Um, but I, and I, I love that string of horror. That's just about the powerlessness of humanity where there is really very little that we can do to affect the outcome. And, and it, it, it's here too, that this thing was set in motion long before uh, John ever got involved. He's just, uh, he's just the guy who's picking up the last piece. Um, and that's, what was the other? Oh, of course, I'm an idiot. Uh, it's Halloween 3, um, the season of The Witch, the, the yep. Carpenter, Carpenter produced and slightly written story that unfolds kind of the same way. It's, it's about somebody who just out of, sheer bad luck just happens to be three minutes ahead of everybody else on the end of the world and right. and how awful that would be right because there's really there's nothing anyone can do john trent is just there to watch in this film. yes and it's and, like uh oh sorry i'm sorry I didn't mean no no please go ahead i was just gonna say and neil makes him sympathetic while that happens it, isn't it isn't it in 12 monkeys they they call they call it like the is it the cassandra syndrome i can't remember it's like the the knowing the the world is going to end and not being able to do anything about it. It's like yeah. this psychologically horrible thing to go through. Yeah. Um, 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 yeah. C- certainly there's a piece of that in this movie as well. Yeah. And uh, if you did play around in the world, because now I want to think about this, if you were to revisit it, would, would Jürgen Prock now be around? Would you have the same Sutter Kane? Cause that could be interesting. I, I truly don't know. I mean, I truly don't know how how it would come together or what it would be. But I just know that thematically, the, the you know, the world needs to. I, I I think horror is a way of confronting things in the world that are hard to talk about and are hard to embrace. You know, it's 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 such a bummer that 
that that that we feel like that that there's this war of of ideas and 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 that suddenly we feel as if people are turning into monsters and that we're relitigating you know you know you know yeah. whether or not the earth is flat or not you know and it's like it's 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 just um a you know it's just a it's it's just an interesting time to like have that battle and like and and argue about it and and it and it's and it's the war of ideas like i'm a big believer in the war of ideas like i i i i I actually believe the 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 idea that the that that the best ideas like will rise and and that and that and that argue like find someone and argue with them i think that's a great thing i think we've forgotten how to argue just you know like go argue go sit down and argue and 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 start by saying, I love you, but um, but we disagree on this, and then let's argue about it. And um, but 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 the war of ideas can become a nightmare. It can become terrifying. You know, there there are certainly times like you know uh, where you know the the Inquisition, where we just like <laughs> some ideas, some not great ideas, rose to the top. And yeah. um, and you're you're dealing with in this case in the, like the present landscape it's people who are arguing something that is like objectively insane to everyone else that's what's fascinating yeah Yeah. because it's not an argument like discourse is great as long as you're grounded in the same reality but yeah i mean this the 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 sutter kane analog is is incredibly apt um these are right like his books are a series of beliefs that other people become infected with and and then they spread them and it just it, it takes over it's it's such a great way to talk about it while removing anything controversial because I don't you know like you know you want to make a movie for everyone you want to make a movie that everyone can enjoy and find and find and find their uh, and, and and find the truth in the story whether you believe this or that like I want everyone to enjoy um, uh, what I make and and um, but 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 take but. P- putting something fantastical, like like you know, like like finding these metaphors or these things, allows you to talk about it and not and not trigger anyone to be upset about this or that, and and just allow it to be about about how much it sucks that we just don't all agree on reality, and that's it. It does suck, and it's scary, and I want to just agree, and 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 I think that's I think that's sort of a fun, and it's just it's just fun and timely, you know. Yeah. Oh, I'm really curious now to see what comes out of this. Even if it's not a Mouth of Madness movie specifically, but this like this era is going to spur that kind of cinema, I think. And and horror is, is a great place to confront it. I hope so. You know, one of the things that really encourages me is that, you know, for the for a long time, the the, the word around horror was, hey, I'll give you two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Go, you know, they 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 made a ton of money with Blair Witch, the first one, and they made a ton of money with uh, paranormal activity. Why can't you go do that? Go. Yeah. Here's 250 grand, or here's half a million dollars. Go make that. And and you know, o- over the past few years, you've seen people spend money on horror in a way that they hadn't for a decade. And suddenly, thing like you're getting to see things you've never seen before in horror. You know what I mean? Um, um, you know, uh, this this might be totally wrong, but if memory serves me, I am legend which is big expensive horror movie was like the most profitable or it was like the biggest 
budget or the biggest box office of any horror movie ever for an incredibly long time. And suddenly awesome. the industry starts spending money on horror movies and then the nun and it within a short amount of time dethrone it. And, and it's because you're investing in these movies. You're making them events. I mean, look at a quiet place. Yeah. You, spend, yeah. you know, it's not a cheap movie to make for in, in the horror movie sta- standards. But it's an incredibly well-told movie. It's 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 for everyone. It's an enjoyable horror experience. And it gave us a, an event horror movie. Holy crap. You yeah. Know? It's like, how many Conjuring films are there? There's three official films, and then there's six other ones, I think? Or is it six in total? Because there's a couple of Annabelles, and there's a couple of... There's The Nun, and La Rona is, is an unofficial one. It's... Yeah, and these are all coming from Warner Bros. They're all major studio It's releases. a universe, man. It's a universe. A conjurverse. It's, 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 it's a conjurverse, right. And it's And it's... And, 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 you know, look, there's, there's people who can criticize those movies, you know, and, and I think that they've done two incredible things. Number one, I mean, I I think that they've, they've brought such a love to, to the mainstream for horror. They've shown like, look, you can make a horror movie. And, you know, there was an article that we were sending around when we were making Brightburn that like giant tentpole movies were moving out of the way of $5 million horror movies because they were scared of us, you know? And I kept, we kept saying like, look, they're scared of us. Look at these guys. And, and, you know, they're spending $150 million and the $5 million movie comes along and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't (laughs) want to come out against that. You know, we don't want to come out against get out or us. It's like, look at that. Look, look at what Jordan Peele did. Look at what he did. And, and, and that's so cool. And, 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 and like, so the other thing is for a long time, people do not remember this, but studios would only make PG 13 horror movies Oh yeah, because they were scared of that R rating. The ring, the ring is a PG 13 movie and it's scary as hell, but it's PG 13. And, and the conjuring showed that you can make an R-rated horror movie and it could still make a couple hundred million dollars. And that was a huge thing because when we made Brightburn, Brightburn would not exist without The Conjuring. When we made Brightburn, it would, you know, we were, we had a long conversation about where we were going to place this movie. You know, could we do an R-rated movie? And it was like The Conjuring, look at The Conjuring. The Conjuring shows us that you can make an R-rated movie and have a big audience and do a big event thing. And, 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 and so we were able to do those sort of like crazy violent things that, you know audiences hadn't seen on a big screen in a theater on memorial day in a very long time you know yeah um um, and we were tiny movie man we were you know a six billion dollar movie but we were coming out on memorial day and there's glass in someone's eye and someone's (laughs) jaw falls i mean it's just gnarly super ultra violent stuff memorial day weekend against you know, John Wick three and Endgame and Aladdin and Godzilla and and us. What the hell are we doing with them? You know, crazy. Oh, but the that's the power. The power of horror. Sorry, I'm. Talking no, no I was going to say the weird stuff always finds people. Uh, yeah. And I'm trying to find a way to connect it to Nightbooks, and I really can't. It's about writers. It's about scary stories, but I don't really see a connection. Was there any kind of reference that you managed to drop in, or anything that inspired well, you? Well, though, I think the 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 the. the I think that essentially the movie Nightbooks, right, is about someone who loves horror movies, grew up on movies like In the Mouth of Madness, and, mm-hmm. and who was inspired to to create their own. And that certainly was me. I am a merely, I'm just standing on the shoulders of all these like giants, like John Carpenter, Wes Craven, and 
and you know, and all these people who came before me and I've learned from them and I'm making my own movies that, that, that they've sort of inspired. And, and that is Alex, right? Alex, Alex like loves lost boys. And even when, you know, you see the movie, when, when, when things happen, like he hears the song from lost boys uh, in his head, because it's like, it's like, that's, you know, that's how he sees the world. That's the lens through which he sees the world. And, 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 uh, you know, I think, um, I, I, I think that, you know, that, that's the connection in my mind between the movies. Yeah. It makes sense to me. And uh, I mean, I don't think Kristen Ritter has ever played a witch for John Carpenter, but she should, like, she's good at that. She's really good at it. Right. She, she, I really think she was, it's a really funny thing. Cause when you make a movie, you get all these cast lists, you get lists from agents, you get lists from the studio. It's like, it's like all these lists are coming in of all these people. And you look at the list and you, you see these names and you start imagining what would the movie be like if this person played the role? What would the movie? And, and I, I said to Kristen after, after I showed her the movie, I said, you know, there was just no one else who could have played this role. Like you, this was your role. Like, it, you know, it just, it needed to be you. And I, I really believe that she has that mix of like devilish, I, I don't know, this devilish enjoyment of like putting these kids through hell. She's like kind of dark and mysterious in a certain, you know, she, she, she's authentically gothy. Like I have this weird pet peeve where, where, as someone who kind of like was sort of alt or gothy or whatever, like, like, like when, when, when you see these actors who aren't and they get, they like, they like put the nose ring on them and, and then like make the, you know, and you're just yeah, like, yeah. it's, it's very, but she, you know, it's, it, it's who she is, you know, uh, uh, it's in her heart and, and it comes through. And, and, and I just think she really got the character. She does a lot of these subtle things that I could talk about if, if, on a you know in a more spoilery yeah, inter- no. it, it conversation but but we want to protect that yeah yeah we should but there's but there's but there's really nuance to to some of her choices that i that just impressed me every time i watch you yeah. know every well, time i watch and it's that wink the same thing that sam neil does it's just this little tiny character performance where you don't have to be really scared of her because she's having fun and it comes out and it's still wor- like i think it'll work for a young audience that way because this is a film for, well, for, for kid horror fans, for young horror fans, because there's stuff in it that's pretty intense. But at the same time, you have this playfulness that really takes the edge off a lot of things. And I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how, like, which of my nieces is going to like this, the youngest one or the middle one or like where, where they're going to fall? Because it could definitely land with all of them. And I just I'm really curious to see how much it lands or how well it lands. You know, I, I showed it early on to a friend uh, named Eric Vespi, who you may know. He he, he does the King cast, oh. and and um, and because uh, I wanted to hear what he thought, you know. Um, um, and and one of the things he said to me, which I thought was really interesting, was that like people always ask him, like, "What's a great introduction to ho-? like?" You know, I, hey, I'm a parent, and uh, I'd like to show my kids a horror movie that can kind of introduce them to horror without like you know, giving them nightmares for years or like mm-hmm. terrorizing them. And he was like, this is like, you know, he really was like, this is that movie that he can now recommend because it's a movie that, you know, gets scarier progressively through the movie, right? Like the third act, it certainly levels up. Right. Yep. And so yep. you can kind of watch the movie, get introduced to like the kind of themes in, in the, you know, we, we certainly do real scares and we, we, we play with the mechanics of what a scare is. We just, don't make it, 
you know, something horrific or violent or anything. We make it like, you know, the thing that jumps out as a cat instead of a, you know, instead of something that would actually, you know, scare your, your children, but, but all the mechanics and all that are there. And then as it ramps up, it does get scarier and scarier. So if it gets too scary at any point, you could stop right there and pick it up in a year or whatever. Um, um, but it's just a great way to sort of like introduce uh, for people who, you know, want to be, want to enjoy horror movies with their kids. You know, it's, it's that introductory gateway. It's gateway horrors, what they're calling. Yeah. It's a funhouse ride, right? Like it's not, it's not a zombie walk. It's something more inviting. Yeah. But it's, it's exactly, but, but it, I, to me, I, I felt like it was, it was something that was sort of like missing in, in, in the, in the, in, in the zeitgeist right now, you know, I, I find that like a, a lot of the fantasy horror now plays more fun and playful and more safe and sweet and more leans more on comedy and adventure than horror, than, than horror sequences. And mm-hmm. this is horror sequences. This really does do horror sequences. We milk anticipation. You, you it's it, at times it can be tense. It's just not, it's just, she's not too scary, but I think we grew up on movies like that. You know, we grew up on gremlins. We grew up on, you know, Jurassic Park is a monster movie, you know, and and, and I, I would never compare this movie, those movies. Those movies are amazing. But 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 just in terms of the. the it's so different than what else is out there for to show your kids today, you know, and and uh, I think that was sort of one of the things that was kind of exciting about it for me. Yeah, they can get to in the mouth of madness later for now. They can have this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> My thanks to David Yarvesky, whose new film Nightbooks is now streaming on Netflix. Thanks also to Carly Levy. She knows what she did. David's not on Twitter, but you can find In the Mouth of Madness on Blu-ray in an excellent special edition from Scream Factory. It's also streaming on Shudder in the U.S. and available on VOD pretty much everywhere else. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days and still trying to figure out how we're going to relaunch the Now Streaming newsletter. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Watch movies. Stay safe. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your shot already. I'll see you next time.